Well, good, good morning and a very warm welcome to Bruegel this morning. Um, so we had a long weekend uh, with the Tour de France here in, uh, in Brussels. Um, and we are now extremely happy to welcome uh, Bruno Le Maire, Minister of the Economy and Finance from France. Um, thank you very much for joining us today. We titled the uh, agreement, uh, the, uh, the uh, uh, event today, Eurozone uh, Agreement, a mini revolution, question mark. So as you know, there was uh, an agreement um, last month in the Eurogroup, uh, which had three major elements. Um, one is a term sheet um, on the budgetary instrument for convergence and competitiveness, so the Eurozone budget. And um, there is an agreement on the ESM reform, which has two major elements. One is um, essentially the backstop to the uh, single resolution fund, so a backstop to the banking union. And the other element is um, a reform of how to provide precautionary credit lines uh, to EU member states that might become, might be in, uh, in financial difficulties. These are the major agreements that have, have been passed. Now, how significant they are um, has been uh, vigorously debated. Um, and um, what we want to hear today is, of course, um, uh, first the speech by, uh, by the minister. Um, where he will talk about this, but also, I think, about the future. Um, and then we want to have a, de a debate um, here f first among the two of us, but also, of course, involving, involving the audience with questions and, and answers. So thank you very much, uh, Mr. Minister. Thank you for coming, and the floor is yours. Thank, thank you. you. Well, good morning to uh, all of you. Thank you for your invitation. Thank you for this very uh, timely uh, meeting and timely conference. I like the title of the conference, the Eurozone budget, a mini revolution. You should just withdraw the question mark. <laughs> <laughs> because this is clearly a mini revolution and more a revolution than mini. Because for the first time in the history of the Eurozone, we can take for granted that there will be a Eurozone budget. And I think that uh, if I have made that kind of conference two years ago, it would have been impossible for me just to use the word Eurozone budget. So we are moving on. We are moving on the right direction. This is a clear breakthrough in the history of the Eurozone, but of course, now it's time to move on. It's time to move on because the Euro is now 20 years old and is a great success. And to me, it is one of the most important political and not only financial success of Europe. The Euro has helped to boost growth, to ensure stability, to lower interest rates, and foster trade between member states. It has no doubt been a success, no matter how you look at it. But the crisis has started 10 years ago with the bankruptcy of Lehman Brothers and transformed into the wider Eurozone crisis. And it clearly showed the weaknesses of the Euro architecture. Many of these weaknesses were addressed during the crisis but not all of the weaknesses. And I think that it is time now to reinforce the Eurozone, to address all those weaknesses, and to make the Eurozone the strongest currency of the world. We all know that the monetary union remains incomplete. Countless economists and expert international institutions highlight this on a regular basis, including the Bruegel Institute. Improvements are needed to better shield Eurozone member states from future economic or financial crisis and to protect our citizens' jobs, businesses, and savings, to help our economies converge, and to allow our economies to grow more over the long run. In the last 10 years, the simple fact 
is that we have not been able to take the necessary decisions to tackle these weaknesses once and for all. It's time now to decide and it's time to take those necessary decisions. So the agreement reached last month is good news, very good news. It's not the end of the process, it's not the finishing line, but it's the essential starting point. And once again, I want to recall that you need to consider where we have come from. It is only two years since we started to revive the Franco-German dynamic with Wolfgang Schäuble. And I really remember my first trip to Berlin when I was appointed as the Minister of Finance and Economy. I had a discussion with my friend Wolfgang just before the press conference. And he told me, well, you can say whatever you want, please do not use the word Eurozone budget. <laughs> so let's be aware of that. It is just over a year ago since we reached the historic Messeberg agreements between Angela Merkel and Emmanuel Macron, thanks to nights of negotiation between Olaf Scholz and myself. So we are clearly on the right way, but now we need to move on and to take other steps. It's like building a house. It's a step-by-step -step process. It's like the European construction. It's step-by-step -step approach, but there is a unique window of opportunity with the appointment of the new Commission and with the new European Parliament to accelerate the reinforcement and the completion of the Eurozone. The June Agreement is an essential break. It will strengthen the Euro area. First of all, it strengthens the European Stability Mechanism, which is no longer limited to addressing crisis, but will now also help prevent crisis. This is a clear change in the right direction. It finally creates the so-called common backstop for the single resolution fund as the ultimate safety net in case of a banking crisis. And most importantly, it creates a Eurozone budget that will promote a greater convergence of Eurozone economies, which will improve competitiveness by financing public investments and reforms. I remember, well, what everyone, probably many of you in this room, told two years ago when I started this job and said that France wanted to create a Eurozone budget. Everybody was saying, impossible, guaranteed failure, utopia. Too many countries would be opposed to the mere concept, let alone making it a reality. That's exactly what everybody was talking about two years ago. But we must recognize that the pessimists were <coughs> wrong. You know the sentence by Churchill, a pessimist see the difficulty in every opportunity. I see an opportunity in every difficulty and I see a clear opportunity in this creation of a Eurozone budget. There is, of course, still some way to go in the coming weeks and months. I prefer weeks than months. In particular, we need to agree on the specific resources of this budget. And I want to be clear, France will not be satisfied with a tiny budget. Although I have always said size is not the most important issue right now, an effective budget architecture is by far the most important feature of the budget, since we need a strong budget. That means that the most important thing for France is that this budget is decided at 19, the 19 members of the Eurozone. I can't come back to my country explaining to France, well, we have got rid of the monetary policy for the sake of having a common currency. But the decision won't be taken by the 19 members of the Eurozone. They will be taken by the 27 members of the EU. It would be unfair and it would be inefficient. It is clear for us that all the decisions relating to the Eurozone should remain in the hands of the members of the Eurozone. And if some member states 
want to take the same kind of decisions, then just enter the Eurozone. But you can't be in and out. And you can't stay out willing to be in and deciding with all the members that have decided to get rid of their monetary policy and their monetary sovereignty. This means that the euro area's own resources are needed. And the financial taxation on transaction might be an option, for instance. Funding which would come only from the European budget decided by the 28 is not good enough, of course. The euro area must have its own decision-making autonomy. We are the ones who share currency. We are the ones who decide its common priorities. And this is a clear priority for us. This will also enable us to allow this budget to evolve according to needs, in particular to face a new crisis. Once again, I want to recall that if there is a new crisis, either an economic or financial one, we do not have the monetary instrument within our hands anymore. This is not the case for the other members of the EU. It's all a matter of political will. And we will keep working and discussing so the first Eurozone budget is a reality in 2021. It's a new decisive phase for our economic and monetary union. So yes, this is a revolution. But of course, we need to go further. Further steps remain needed to transform a shared currency into a full, efficient monetary union and to have the Eurozone once again being one of the strongest financial and economic place in the world. There is, first of all, and I want to insist on this point, an absolute necessity for more growth within the Eurozone. The average level of growth within the Eurozone is clearly a failure for all of us. The lack of growth is a failure for the Eurozone. And it has been a failure for more than 10 years since the beginning of the financial crisis. I will never be satisfied with a level of growth for the Eurozone between 1.2, 1 1.3, 1.5%, when will you have 5 or 6% of growth in Poland or 3.5% of growth within the US. We don't want to be the last continent. We want to be the first one, including for growth. It is non-sustainable on the long term to have such a level of growth. Either we are aware of that, either we are aware, all the 19 members of the Eurozone, of the key necessity of having more growth and an inclusive one and a sustainable one, or we will feed populism. Because this is the lack of decision that feeds populism all over Europe. This is the lack of awareness of the weaknesses of the Eurozone that feeds populism. If we want to defeat populism, we need to take decisions to strengthen the Eurozone, to complete the Eurozone, and to have more growth for our citizens. A sustainable one, creating jobs, and creating prosperity for our citizens. Stability is one thing. Prosperity is another one. And there won't be any stability if you do not have prosperity. You can have economic stability without political stability because the lack of growth, the lack of prosperity, once again, could lead to instability within the Eurozone. That's why I propose a compact for growth for the Euro area. And I will make the same proposal here during this conference and will recall what I just explained to Olaf Scholz, what I explained to the 19 members of the Eurozone, what I explained to uh, Angret Kampen-Karrenbauer during the ex-conference last weekend. There is a need for that compact for growth for the Euro area. 
This compact for growth should take into account the current situation of an accommodating monetary policy and low interest rates. This is the current situation. And politicians do have to take into account the situation as it stands. This is our clear responsibility. This compact for growth should be based on three main decisions. The first one is to pursue structural reforms and to control public finances. For some countries, this is more essential than others. And that's exactly the choice that has been made by Emmanuel Macron and by our majority. We have decided to introduce key structural reforms, difficult ones, courage, courageous ones, because we are fully aware of the necessity to reinforce the competitiveness of the French economy. And other members of the Eurozone should do the same. There is a need in some Eurozone countries for more structural reforms like the ones we introduced in France. Reform on the labour market. Reform on the taxation system. Reforms on pensions. That's all the reforms that we have already decided with Emmanuel Macron. The second pillar should be more investment. Countries with fiscal space need to invest more. Given its political weight in the euro area, Germany has an important responsibility. And there is a desperate need for more, invest, more investment in the euro area, especially in innovation and infrastructures. It will benefit Germany. It will benefit its neighbors. It will benefit the whole euro area. The third pillar should be the further strengthening of the euro area. Implementation of the budget of the euro area is essential, but that not, will not be enough. So these would be the three pillars on which we could build a new growth for the eurozone. <coughs> Reforms, investment, and strengthening of the euro area. And I would be really keen on opening the discussion on that compact for growth with my colleagues of the Eurozone area. We need deeper integration of the Eurozone. It requires completing the banking union, building a fully-fledged capital markets union, and in the long, a stabilization function for the Eurozone budget. These are the three points that are needed for me to reinforce the Eurozone. On the financing of innovation, let's be clear, we have fallen behind. In 2018, for venture capital, $100 billion were channeled to startups in the United States, $80 billion in China, and only $20 billion in Europe. We need to catch up and to take the lead. And for that, we need to build a genuine capital markets union. It will help all European countries, either big and small, to finance themselves more easily, in particular so they can scale up. We have set up a joint high-level working group with Olaf Scholz and Wopke Hotzka so that we can provide new ambitious ideas to the new commission on how to deepen the capital markets union. But this is clearly a necessity if we want to help our SMEs to scale up, our startups to scale up. And we want to be in a better situation than we are now. We also know that we will have to go further with a stabilization function for the euro area. Some countries, I'm aware of that, are firmly opposed today, and this is not a secret for anybody. But I'm convinced it remains essential to have this stabilization function for the eurozone. All international institutions agree. The vast majority of economists agree a large majority of the members of the Eurozone agree. So you cannot put beside a solution on which so many skilled people and nations 
clearly do agree. There is a need for a stabilisation function for the Eurozone budget. Why? Just because counter-cyclical stabilisation function is the best response to a shock. So that shock does not end up weighing solely on the public finances of the affected member state. In a currency area, member states are deprived from the main traditional tool to cope with a shock, devaluation. We don't have any possibility anymore to use that tool. We cannot go on ignoring this basic fact and we have to come up with solutions to fill the gap. Yes, reforms, healthy budgets are essential. I don't dispute that point. We need reforms and we need healthy budgets, but they are not enough. And we have seen in the past during the financial crisis that it was not enough. Once again, look at Ireland or Spain and the last crisis. They had budgetary surplus before the crisis hit. They had introduced reforms before the crisis hit. Was it enough? No. So clearly, our experience showed that there is a need for not only a Eurozone budget based on convergence, but also for a function of stabilization. In Messeberg, France and Germany put forward specific proposals to build such a tool. For instance, Euro Area Unemployment Reinsurance Scheme. This is a proposal put on the table by Olaf Scholz, and this is a very good one. Establishing this stabilization function must remain our goal in the long term, despite the clear opposition of some today. The majority of Eurozone countries are already in favour of such a move. Those who opposite this solution, those who opposite the stabilisation function for the Eurozone budget are vocal, but they are not the majority. The majority of the members of the Eurozone the majority of the financial institutions, the majority of the, of the economists are in favour of such a function. <coughs> we need to reach a consensus. It will take time, but we will stick on that. We also need to strengthen the international role of the euro, and I fully support the ideas put forward by the European Commission. I want Europe to be, for, to be sovereign in its foreign policy. Let's take the example of American sanctions against Iran. The prospect of being shut out from using the dollar has proven a very powerful tool for the US to exercise leverage on European companies. And I don't want our companies to suffer from American decisions that we do not always share. Second point on this question of the euro as a sovereign currency. There is a clear advantage for companies who import and export if they can reduce their exposure to exchange rates risks. Today, Europe pays 80% of its energy imports in US dollars. If the equivalent transactions were in euros, the benefit in terms of exchange rates could be very significant. Third point. Today, for transactions globally, the euro has become a widely used currency. It represents 36% of the value of international payments, which is close to the US dollar with 40%. But the euro represents only 20% of international reserves, whereas the dollar represents 60%. I think it is in our overall interest that the euro becomes a larger reserve <coughs> currency although the effects on exchange rates and the strengths of the currency are complex and will need to be managed carefully. But this idea of having the euro as a very strong currency compared to the dollar is clearly the way of assessing and um, insisting on the necessity of having a sovereign Europe. The euro area also relies on the core foundations of the EU and its single market. And we need to deepen it further too. We need to progress in terms of fiscal harmonization 
and social convergence. It is an essential condition for fair competition within the single market. It's the only way we can have competitive firms growing without jeopardizing the social market economy model at the heart of the EU's economic strengths. On social convergence, it will be necessary to accelerate the implementation of the European pillar of social rights, for instance, through the European semester. On tax issues, more harmonization will be needed, starting with a progressive transition to qualified majority voting as proposed by the Commission to modernize our VAT regime or finally bring work on CCCTB to a conclusion. Step by step, all features of the single market will need deeper integration. To remain in the technological race against China and the US, it is essential that we make technological sovereignty one of the top priorities of Europe because our political sovereignty depends on it. This requires building a genuine shared European industrial policy, not a state-led old-style planification. This common industrial policy is, of course, inseparable from competition policy and trade policy. The times when these policies could evolve separately are now over. Competition policy is vital for us to allow European companies to grow and be world leaders. And we will need to adapt our competition rules to the new economic realities that are facing us. This will be one of the major tasks of the new Commission. This is why France, Germany and Poland put forward a common proposal last week in Poznan. It aims at initiating a debate with the Commission and Member States on the necessary steps which must be taken to adapt competition rules. And we, can on, we call on all member states which, to, which want to join this contribution. To conclude, I want to insist on the fact that we are clearly at a time when there is a need for a new impetus for the European construction. I think that we have not drawn all the consequences of the financial crisis of 2008. We have been able to take some decisions. We have put in place some protections. That's fine. But 10 years later, when we are looking at the situation of the EU and the situation of the Eurozone, the landscape is quite clear. People are hesitating between fostering nationalism or giving a new impetus to Europe. Clearly, there is a need to take the lead and to give a new impetus to the European construction. And this is the time when decisions are needed. Decisions, first of all, for the Eurozone, because the Eurozone is at the heart of the European construction. It has been one of the most important political and financial achievement of the EU for more than 20 years. So either we are able to put into place this Eurozone budget with both a convergence and a stabilization function, we are able to build the banking union, the capital market union, and we will show to our citizens that they can be proud of the Eurozone, proud of the results, and then we can put more growth and more jobs for everybody within the Eurozone. Or we will feed the skepticism of all of those which are explaining, well, the Eurozone is a failure. Let's have a look at the level of growth. Let's have a look at the number of jobs created compared to the US and compared to other great nations. This is a clear evidence that the Eurozone is not successful. We need to make the Eurozone a great success. And that's why we need to move on and to accelerate the decisions on the implementation of all the decisions we have taken and on further integration for the Eurozone. Then there is a competition issue. If we want to have industrial champions compared to the ones we have in China or in the US, we need to make changes in the competition policy. That's the proposals that we made with Peter Altmaier a few weeks ago. There is the question 
of trade and the necessity of defending our interest vis-à-vis -vis the United States and vis-à-vis -vis China. On all those issues, this is time to decide, to take strong and clear decisions. Otherwise, we run the risk of being jeopardized by the current fight between China and the US. The historical choice that we have to make is whether we want to be put beside by the current competition between China or the US, or do we have the courage, and I would say the heart, to be part of this competition and to remain at the same level as China and the US. The choice that has been made by France, by President Macron, and by the French people is quite clear. We want to be able to face that challenge, and we want the 21st century to be built not only by China and the US, but also by Europe. Thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you very much, Minister Le Maire. I think uh, this was a wonderful and very comprehensive speech covering uh, uh, many aspects related to the euro and, of course, very much also the international relations um, uh, aspects and the importance for the euro to be a strong currency at a time when uh, the United States is weaponizing the dollar, if I may use this, uh, this expression, and where China, of course, is also very aggressively building uh, its, own, its own strategy to, to foster and increase its influence. We at Bruegel, we have written uh, recently a piece which we call Redefining Europe's Economic Sovereignty, where we very much push um, for this latter idea of strengthening not only the euro, but a, a, a number of other instruments to be able to uh, withstand the global competition with, um, with China and the United States um, at a time where the United States is also withdrawing from the multilateral system. Um, you talked a lot about the Eurozone budget. Um, the Eurozone budget here at, uh, is, is certainly something that um, many of my colleagues at Bruegel and myself, we have talked and researched and thought a lot about, and we have, of course, um, very much uh, promoted the idea um, that um, a currency union at the end of the day uh, cannot be a stable and successful union without its proper budgetary instruments. I think most uh, economists agree that sort of the, uh, the currency union as it was constructed in the Maastricht Treaty, so the Maastricht 1.0 currency union was an unstable setup um, and um, therefore needed some amendments. Um, but I, I wanted to take the opportunity, nevertheless, to, to zoom in a bit on what has been agreed now on the Eurozone uh, budget, um, and whether, and you said yourself, it's, um, it's, a, it's a step forward, uh, but it's not the end of the process. And I think, as academics, we probably focus more on the process that still lies ahead rather than uh, on what has been achieved. But perhaps we can, can zoom in on a few aspects of this Eurozone budget and discuss that with you. And I then want to also bring in, uh, bring in the audience with questions uh, uh, that can be addressed to you. So, so I guess one, one issue that, um, that I was uh, struck by is that, uh, and you, uh, that um, this is part of the EU budget, but it's still a Eurozone instrument. And um, you mentioned very clearly that you want this uh, instrument to be an instrument that is being decided by the Euro area members and not by the EU 27 or 28. We are still 28, actually. <laughs> uh, so... Uh, so um, I wondered how, how would this work in practice? Because so the term sheet says the Euro Summit and the Euro Group is deciding on this Eurozone budget, but the term sheet also says that it's part of the EU budget. And as we know, the EU budget is being decided by all EU member states. Um, the MFF, the multi-annual financial framework, is decided by all EU member states for a seven-year period. So how much flexibility will there be for the Eurozone countries among themselves to decide about this instrument? Um, very good question. First of all, um, we need to clearly understand what the resources of the Eurozone budget will be. You have part of the resources 
which should uh, be based on the European budget, on the MFF. And there is another part on which we are still discussing, in the process of discussion, which should be based on own resources. For, in, for instance, the TTF might be one of the own resources that might uh, feed the Eurozone budget. And of course, if there is not a balance between those two sets of uh, funding, this would be a difficulty for the Eurozone budget, because having a Eurozone budget without own resources would be for us a nonsense. Then you need a procedure of decision, which should be based on an intergovernmental inter agreement, an IGA. On that very specific topic too, we are still in the process of discussing. But clearly for us, there is a need for an IGA. And then, this is the third point, we need to uh, assess where this financing should be the most useful considering the situation of each uh, of the 19 <coughs> member states. So these are the, the three pillars which remained to be built because on the IGA and on the own resources there is uh, still discussions that remain open between the 19 members of the Eurozone. But clearly, if we want the Eurozone budget to be efficient, you need to have those three pillars. So can I push you a bit on this point of the intergovernmental agreement, um, which is, um, let's say, um, uh, again putting the decision-making at the level of um, uh, the member states that have to find an agreement, probably with unanimity, on the various uh, budgetary aspects. Uh, why is France not pursuing a strategy, and there the German in me is speaking, where uh, the parliament would have a much larger role and we would have a more sort of a federal kind of setup where um, uh, a parliament, a European parliament, perhaps in Eurozone composition, decides on the tax resources and then decides by majority, not by unanimity, on how to use the money. Wouldn't that be a more logical construction when, const when creating a budget on top of um, the national budgets? I think that we remain uh, open to uh, any evolution of the Eurozone budget. But the critical point for us now is to have this budget entering into force. And I think that for the time being, the best option is uh, to have a Eurozone budget based on national decisions with uh, the features that uh, I just mentioned, with the view of having the Eurozone budget entering into force in 2021, which is clearly tomorrow. Hmm. Then, if you are referring to uh, the speech made by Emmanuel Macron uh, in La Sorbonne at the beginning of his mandate, mm -hmm. he was very open to any kind of evolution for the Eurozone budget and for uh, the Eurozone as a whole. But I clearly prefer to have decisions that might be improved in the very next future because trying to reach the ideal solution from the very beginning. Because my experience is that if we want to get an ideal solution at the very beginning, you don't get any decision. And that's why during the last Eurogroup, when at five o'clock in the morning I had to decide whether I would accept a Eurozone budget that would not be perfect, of course, with only a, a convergent function, without having for the time being any stabilization function, without own resources, but just European resources. I preferred to uh, have that Eurozone budget being adopted as it stands, with a clear possibility of improving that Eurozone budget instead of trying to reach an ideal solution and run the risk of having nothing. Because I'm really convinced that if I have said this morning at five o'clock in the morning during the last Eurogroup, well, I don't want this solution because I want more. More was impossible to reach. So I prefer to have a compromise, which is a strong and limited one, and to build on that compromise in the very next month, 
instead of trying to reach the ideal solution from the very beginning, saying no, getting no compromise, no agreement, and then this is the end of the story. Mm. Well, I do want to, uh, uh, to see whether there are questions in the audience, um, and because we don't have that much time. <laughs> So we have uh, 10 minutes, I think. And you have, questions. You have to leave at a quarter to yes. 11. One minute. So we have, a, but really only questions, not comments. If I can, uh, and I will restrict here, the, the gentleman here in front, and please identify yourself. Yeah, hi, thank you. Bjarke Smith-Meyer from Politico. Um, I, I just want to quote um, the Dutch finance minister to you from the last Eurozone <laughs> budget. Uh, he said, 2018 was the year when we debated heavily between France and the Netherlands on the idea of stabilization and a Eurozone budget. Both are out the window, stabilization is gone, the Eurozone budget is gone. So what I would like to know is, is this then a waiting game in the eyes of France to wait till Ruta leaves government so that you can then introduce uh, the Eurozone budget further? Thank you. So, so perhaps we collect a few questions. Um, that, that, that my, there's a gentleman here. Just pass the mic. Bertrand de Combrugge, Policy Planning, Belgium. Uh, Mr. Minister, thank you very much for a very informative and uh, interesting uh, talk. I have a question about the relationship between a Eurozone budget and member states' budget, a Eurozone member states' budget. Uh, if the Eurozone budget is to become a tool for underpinning the monetary policy with the budgetary policy, would that mean strengthening the disciplines for the national member states' budgets so that you have coordinated approach to budgetary policies? Shall we collect a third, a third one? Is that a third one, yes. Um, so, so perhaps here, short, short and crispy. It's on. So Gregory Kless, does it work? Yes. Gregory Kless from Bruegel. Uh, I would like you maybe to come back for one second on the ESM reform, uh, the treaty of the, uh, the reform of the treaty, and in particular on the precautionary credit line, uh, because I think it's also crucial. It's more technical than the Eurozone budget, but it's, it's crucial. And um, recently, I looked at the criteria that have been agreed uh, in December. And actually, these criteria are, are very tough, actually. If you look at the number of countries that could be eligible, uh, 10 countries, including France, Italy, and even Finland, would not uh, be eligible uh, to, to this uh, new tool, to this reform tool. So I wonder, uh, is it possible still to, to, to change that uh, between now and December, when it will be finalized, in order to make it more useful and, uh, and more accessible? First of all, I will start with the last question. Um, this is not only a technical issue, and I want to make very clear to our citizens that all the decisions that we are currently taking on the Eurozone budget do have a direct impact on their daily life. The fact that we have introduced precautionary credit lines and that we have been able to put in place the backstop of the single resolution fund with a total amount of more than 60 billion euros, is clearly a protection for the savers. And I want to make that very clear to all European citizens. Mm -hmm. This is a protection for your saving. If there is a new financial crisis, we have the necessary tools to protect your savings. This is not technical. This is highly political. And I'm not a technician, I'm a politician, I'm elected. And that's very important to have politicians being in charge and taking political decisions on the basis of technical assessments, of course. But this is a time where you need to have politicians in charge. On the precautionary credit lines, they are more uh, easier to use for countries with sound economic policies. And I think that this is important to have these uh, precautionary lines devoted to countries with sound economic policies. But you don't need an MOU to get access to those lines. So this is strong. There are clear conditions, but you don't need to have an MOU. And an MOU would have been far much complicated. So this is a balanced approach, and I think this is uh, the right approach. I, I would do the same uh, response to, to the second question. Um, the right balance that we have to find 
is the balance between the necessity of structural reforms, because there is a lack of productivity and competitiveness in too many countries of the Eurozone. And the budget, the Eurozone budget, or the instruments of the Eurozone are not devoted to take the necessary decisions for more competitiveness and for structural reforms that are in the hands of the national governments. So there is clearly a need for some governments to take the necessary steps to improve the competitiveness of their economy. That's exactly what we are doing with Emmanuel Macron. We are fully aware of the necessity to improve the competitiveness of France. We are successful because we have a level of growth of 1.4, which is above the average level of growth within the Eurozone, and we will stick to that path of reforms. Then there is a need, too, to um, reduce the level of public expenditures and to stick to our European commitments. Once again, this is the first time in the history of uh, the French nation that we have been able, for more than 10 years, to uh, respect our commitments, to abide by our European commitments, to be under the 3% of public deficit, and to stabilize the public debt. And I hope that we will be able to reduce the level of public debt in France. And then you have the Eurozone budget and all the instruments of the Eurozone, which could help us to have more convergence and more solidarity among the members of the Eurozone. I think that this is a fair and balanced approach. We are not explaining that uh, everybody should uh, spend more money, that uh, the Eurozone should be based only on solidarity. We are explaining that there is a need for convergence and stabilization. And this is my answer I would like to, to uh, give to uh, your uh, question. Uh, I don't want to enter into uh, any uh, provocation about that. And this is not the question of uh, France, uh, the Netherlands, and any kind of uh, competition among members of the Eurozone. This is just the question, how do we do to have a strong Eurozone able to face any kind of financial or economic crisis and being able to put the euro at the same level as the dollar? These are my questions. And when I have such important questions to tackle, I'm, of course, looking at the response that are given by the specialists, by the experts, by Bruegel, for instance, by very uh, skilled economists, by financial institutions, by the OECD, by the IMF, by the ECB, by Mario Draghi himself, by many nations, by the large majority of European nations within the Eurozone. What are the responses given by all those skilled and experimented people or nations? They are all the same. A Eurozone budget without a stabilization function would not be efficient. Since the response is so clear, my determination to stick to that ambition and to try to reach a consensus on that ambition, not to get a French victory, but to get a European victory, mm. a new Eurozone victory, remains as strong as it was at the beginning of the discussion two years ago, when it was impossible just to use the word Eurozone budget. Mm. It's called BIC now. It doesn't change the Dutch position. So, so we have it's the 19 members of the Eurozone which will decide about the future of the Eurozone. And I think that putting beside the question of uh, the Eurozone and the Eurozone budget, we have to think about what we want for Europe. Either we are a continent where discussions are open, where you can have a debate 
and you move on on the basis of the debates, the discussions that you have with the other nations, and then I think that you are compliant with what is at the heart of the European construction, discussion, debate, thinking about the future, or you are just sticking to your position without listening to the others, and then you are going away from the European spirit. I call on everybody to be faithful to the European spirit. Okay, um, I think we don't have much more time, uh, but perhaps we can take uh, two or three more. And uh, if you allow me, I would like to actually also ask one very quickly, because you talked about the Compact for Growth, which is, of course, a very interesting concept. And so the other big topic is climate change at this stage. And I wonder to what extent um, those two things shouldn't be brought together by having a European institution issue debt, uh, for example, the European Investment Bank, on a large scale, to fund a climate infrastructure, the, the necessary infrastructure to manage climate change. So I want to raise that as one question, but I do want to uh, bring in two, uh, two, two more questions. Uh, so, uh, so the gentleman here is, is one, and then... Hi, Sebastiano Putoto, Young European Federalist. You've insisted very much on the need to still work on stabilization, which was the point of it all along. And in the meantime, you've basically agreed to cash for reform which is what uh, Germany and other fiscally conservative countries were pushing for many years now. What is the leverage you have left? I mean, how could you reach consensus if what countries like the Netherlands and Germany already have? Okay, and let me uh, get a, a third question on Andre Sapir from Bruegel. Yes, uh, Andre Sapir from, uh, from Bruegel. Um, on, on the budget, um, so you made a very, very clear point that this is not a technical issue, quite rightly, it's a, it's a political issue. And uh, you're very much wanting to go ahead with the uh, 19 countries of the, of the euro area. Why not take a further step um, with political will to say that uh, this ambitious uh, budget with the two functions uh, that you rightly envisage will for the moment only be uh, covering a subset uh, of the euro area countries. You said there is a majority of, uh, of countries. Why don't those countries go ahead, put the money uh, on, the, on the table? Because you, you, you indicated that part of the money would come from the EU budget, but the others come from national and contributions. Results. Why don't those countries put the money on the table and let the others follow when they are ready? I will start by the, the last question, uh, because unfortunately then I have to go. Um, I, I will be very frank with you, and um, I've been very blunt from the very beginning for the sake of having a, a good discussion. I, I don't believe in uh, reinforced cooperation. And I think uh, that there is clearly a need to stick to the European spirit of compromise. And moving on, with everybody on board. I'm always very much reluctant with the idea that some members will move on and some others will join later. Because the fact is that in that case, the members that should join on later never join. And then you are splitting the EU. And my deep concern now is the risk of having any uh, new uh, breaches and gaps between the member states. I'm doing my best to avoid that kind of situation. I think that in a time where there was no nationalist parties, no extremism, we could have envisaged such a solution. But at a time where nationalism are growing everywhere in Europe, where the risk of having extremist parties gaining the power in Europe, the idea is that some members are moving on and the rest of the members are waiting and will join later is a very dangerous idea. So that's why I do not believe in that solution or any uh, kind of uh, opt-out which would jeopardize the Eurozone. It would have been easier for me to accept that kind of solution. You don't want to join, no problem. There is an opt-out. 
but then you run the risk of dividing mm. where you need more unity. Mm. And clearly that's, uh, to me, a political milestone. We need more unity and we need to avoid any decision that would lead to more divisions among the member states. On the second option, I will also be very clear. I don't want an economic crisis to be the leverage. And why am I pushing so hard to move on, to take decisions, to think about that possibility of having a stabilization function, even if some countries are strongly opposed to that? It is just because I know that if there is a new economic crisis in one, two, three, or five years, I don't know, we will do, of course, our utmost efforts to avoid that situation, then some countries that were opposed to the idea of a stabilization function will realize that there is a need for a stabilization function. And when you are looking at the past of Europe, the strongest decisions have been taken after a crisis. When you are looking back to uh, the comments just after the creation of the Eurozone, some very skilled economists or financial institutions explained that the Eurozone was too weak and that there was no possibility within the Eurozone to resist a financial crisis, but no decision has been taken. And we had to wait the crisis of 2008 to take the necessary decisions. I don't want to make the same mistake now. I don't want to wait for the next economic crisis before taking the necessary decisions to put more solidarity within the Eurozone. And I want to be very clear also on that specific political point. Europe cannot be based only on competition among the member states. Europe must be based also on solidarity. Otherwise, it is the end of our political project. Everybody has to do its home job. Everybody has to introduce structural reforms. Everybody has to stick to its European commitments. But in that case, every nation should rely on European solidarity. You cannot ask for more structural reforms, more efforts, without guaranteeing that there will be solidarity in the case of an economic or financial crisis. <clears throat> Europe should be based on this balanced approach, competition and solidarity, mm. and not competition alone. On uh, the question, the key question of uh, inclusive growth, the fight uh, against climate change and global uh, warming. And the fact that we have low interest rates and the possibility of uh, investing more. I really think that we should take into account the different situations of each nation. Some of the members of the Eurozone do have fiscal space. And they have clearly the possibility of investing more in innovation, in the fight against climate change, sure. in uh, new uh, energies, and in infrastructures, including infrastructures for energy. They should do it. Other nations don't have the same fiscal space. And the first priority of those nations should be to restore their public finances. This is the case for France. And if I am so cautious when people are explaining to me, well, Interest rates are very low. You should spend more, and you should spend more public expenditures. I'm very cautious. Why? Because I know that if I open the gate to uh, that kind of decision, the investments that will be made won't be investment for infrastructures or for innovation or for the fight against climate change, but it will be current expenditures mm. without any impact on the level of growth and the fight against climate change. Mm. So that's why we have to take into account the differences between uh, the different members of the EU and the different members of the Eurozone. We are not all at the same stage 
not all in the same situation regarding our public finances and uh, our financing for innovation. So thank you to all of you. It was great to see please, you and great to have join you. me in thanking. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.